Hello, welcome to another episode of Fast Forward, a podcast from QSR Magazine. My name is Sam Okus. I'm the editor of QSR and the editorial director of Food News Media. Today, I'm sharing a conversation with Garrett Mills. He is the CEO of Chandler Hospitality Group, uh, which is the parent company of full-service barbecue brand Rib Crib, uh, which is a full-service chain based in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is expanding into counter-service format and is also franchising, but is like every other restaurant company in America, navigating the coronavirus pandemic primarily through off-premises business and trying to figure out what their model looks like moving into the future, whether that is counter-service, full-service, or some sort of hybrid. Now, if you recognize the name Garrett Mills, it might be because Garrett is a former NFL player. He was a tight end, uh, first for the University of Tulsa, then he was drafted by the Patriots uh, in 2006. He went on to play for the Vikings and the Eagles, among some other teams, before he went and actually got his MBA at Northwestern and pivoted to the business world. And then after kind of moving through his career for a bit, he ended up at Rib Crib, where now he is responsible for this barbecue brand's growth. Rib Crib has been around for a couple of decades now. Like I said, it's it's primarily this full-service barbecue chain that has built a loyal following uh, in Oklahoma and sort of the surrounding states. But they're starting to sort of rethink the experience of Rib Crib and how they're getting it out to the customers. Even before the pandemic, they were working on this. They had launched a fast-casual burger joint called Society Burger. They were exploring sort of this counter-service model. And of course, with barbecue, uh, there's a real opportunity for fast casual barbecue. There are a few players, uh, including Dickies and City Barbecue and Mission Barbecue. Uh, but that seemed to be an opportunity that they wanted to kind of explore, especially as it related to franchising and as they offered more opportunities for their franchisees to grow. So before the pandemic, they were already looking at that, what it meant to sort of mix in that counter-service format into the f- primarily full-service uh, restaurant chain. Uh, but then they were also again looking at franchising. They mostly have corporate-owned locations, but they do have a handful of franchises, and they are continuing to pursue franchising moving forward. Um, so these are all the things that they were working on before the pandemic. Garrett and I, in this conversation, we talk about, you know, of course, how they pivoted uh, to primarily just off-premises business after the pandemic struck, and what that looked like uh, for the rib crib model. But we also talk about just what its implications are then for the future, you know, whether or not this makes, you know, more of an emphasis on the, the counter-service format, whether it makes more of an emphasis on things like, you know, franchising and, and even doing things like curbside and drive through or whether or not there's going to be a place for full service and that experience of a full service restaurant. Um, Garrett really thinks there's going to be kind of this blend. So we talk about, you know, what that looks like in blending the model of a full service restaurant and a counter service format and how you can kind of put those things together. And on top of that, have all of that off premises business as well. Before I get into that, of course, as always, go to qsrmagazine.com for all the news and insights you need on the QSR and fast casual restaurant industries. Email me if you ever want to share your perspective or if you just want to talk, sam at qsrmagazine.com. All right, I'm going to launch now into this conversation with Garrett Mills, the CEO of Chandler Hospitality Group, parent of Rib Crib. And I asked him to start by talking just about that early pivot that Rib Crib had to make back in March uh, once the pandemic became a reality all across the U.S. Well, you know, like a lot of people in the, in the restaurant industry, a lot of operators, you know, it was it was kind of a it all came at once. You know, we, mm-hmm. we went from what felt like normal times to in a matter of days, you know, one being forced to shut down and then and then realizing that that customers just don't want to come to restaurants um, for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it quickly became pure survival mode um, it, from a from a margin standpoint. It was get lean as possible, get as lean as possible. And then from a from a top line standpoint, it was, you know, where can we find revenue that that in non-traditional ways. 
Yeah. And I'm sure too, that you were hearing a lot from your owner operators. I mean, what was the feedback you were getting from them and what kind of communication were you guys um, keeping up in the midst of all of that? Yeah, you know, we're, so we have 56 total units, 46 of them are are corporate owned and operated. So we do have 10 units uh, that are franchise units and, and five franchisees that we have a great relationship with, um, you know, there was some sharing of ideas and, and, and certainly um, keeping that line of communication and, and show of support to them was important. Uh, but, but clearly we were also kind of inundated and, and as operators ourselves, we were had our hands full and kind of navigating our own stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but as a franchise work, clearly we recognize that, that that relationship with our franchisees is, is forever an important one. Um, so, you know, having a direct line of communication with them through this was important as well. Now you guys, your, your, most of your restaurants are, um, in just like square in the middle of the country. And what's interesting is how, you know, the, the, certainly early on the coronavirus was really first happening on the West coast. Then it was happening on the East coast. Was it a little surreal for you guys to watch this unfold? Cause I know that it took a little bit longer to get to your markets. Were, were you trying to prepare for it or there, was there any kind of learning you guys were doing as you were watching it unfold on the coasts? You know, I, I wish I could sit here and say that, that, um, that we were learning, you know, I think that the waterfall effect was, was so fast, even though we were taking it serious and, and could see it coming, you know, I, I think, uh, we all felt the sense of, of, from a national standpoint, you know, we, we saw it across the world and, and kind of felt like, well, it, you know, it may be different here. And then obviously as it hits the coast, um, it's not that you, you, you don't think you'll be affected, but the, I think no one could have, could have realized kind of the, the effect and, and really the speed of the effect uh, that this had across the country. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in hindsight, sure. Yeah. I would love to have maybe given it a little more credit in the sense, not that I didn't think it was, could be a real thing because many of the experts were, were giving that uh, exact warning. Uh, but from a, from an operational standpoint and a, and kind of a, how it affects both traffic and, and how we operate our restaurants, um, in hindsight, I would have loved to prepare a little more, but, um, you know, clearly we were, we were, uh, in, in pure survival mode there at the beginning. Sure. So barbecue, I think is interesting. Um, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about recently is how, you know, what happened, um, with sort of broader consumer trends after the coronavirus was, you know, the lunch day part really dropped because what you saw was as people worked from home, they were going out to eat less for lunch, but then dinner really took off because what you were seeing was a lot more family meals. You know, people were at home spending time together and they were, you know, getting carry out for dinner. Um, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't that seem like a great opportunity for barbecue? I mean, you guys are already really perfectly positioned to be able to serve, you know, bulk orders of barbecue for the family at dinner. And so it almost seems like that sort of plays well into, you know, your sweet spot. Well, I think no question. And I think more to that point, you know, clearly barbecue is, is a great uh, takeout food. It travels well. Um, it, it's, it, you, you can take it home, kind of spend some time uh, getting dinner ready, and it's still nice and hot and, and still eats well like it's fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's no question uh, we, and I'm, I'm sure other, other people in the, in the sector of barbecue have benefited or, or maybe not been hit quite as hard because of the type of food we we serve and i think along those same lines we entered the pandemic with a healthy off-premise business mm-hmm. and i think that that served us well uh both because our customers were used to taking you know getting our food and taking it to go uh but also because we we've, we've just done a good job and it's it's been a 
it's just been something we've done for many, many years with the off-premise portion. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people about how this is, you know, timing was kind of perfect when you think about it. I mean, if this has happened six, seven years ago, and a lot of restaurants restaurants weren't set up for the off-premises business like they are now, you know, third-party delivery services didn't exist. Um, do you feel like you were you were already set up with the operation or with the uh, off-premises um, infrastructure that you had in place? Was that enough, or did you guys have to um, tweak it a little bit in the midst of all of this to to get yourself even, you know, to be even more successful with that off-premises? business? Well, I, you know, I think from a percentage of, of sales standpoint, um, you know, going into the pandemic, we were about a 25% to go 5% catering. So a total of, of around 30% of what we called off premise. Um, even though we, we did a healthy portion of, of off premise, and, and we feel like from a from an operational standpoint, we could handle it. You know, that's, that's still not to say we didn't make changes when all of a sudden we were 100% off premise, because um, because our dining rooms were shut down. So, you know, we certainly uh, adapted to the times, you know, in a couple ways from, from in-store our dining rooms turned into kind of storage facilities, um, Mm -hmm. for, for to-go packaging and and to kind of just, just to better that flow to get the the food out the door. Yeah. And then even our, even our parking lots, you know, we would, we'd put it at, at the units that needed it. We'd put a tent out kind of at the, at the entryway to our parking lot and we could catch guests, uh, coming in and kind of figure out have they ordered did they order online are they are they picking up and, and direct them into to various portions of our parking lot to to help that flow and, and just kind of to in, increase the the speed of service to get the again get their food out and, and kind of get them on their way um so mm-hmm. those are two ways that, that even though i feel like again we entered this feeling like we were good at takeout um it's not to say we didn't we didn't adapt and, and make some tweaks to make it even better. So it sounds like you guys had kind of like a pop up drive through. We did. You know, we we just had a, a few. Uh, we offer curbside in some of our units, but there's certain units where we don't mm-hmm. offer kind of a true tra- traditional curbside with signage and and kind of clear direction. And so, in a lot of ways, we had to retrain guests. Well, that's not always easy to do, kind of on the on the fly or on the spot. And so that's kind of what we we put employees in the parking lot for was to 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 receive them and, and train the guests to kind of um, go to where we wanted them to go to kind of better that flow um, and ensure that that wait times don't just you know get out of whack and and they uh, again they have a good experience even if they're not coming into our into our store right so the last time you and I talked, um, you guys were in the midst of kind of evolving the rib crib concept to, um, you know, have a, a fast casual prototype to invest more in sort of that counter service format. Uh, it's been really interesting to, you know, watch sort of the division between counter service and full service in the midst of the uh, coronavirus, because, you know, it, it certainly full service took it on the chin a lot harder um, than quick service and fast casual because of the fact that you, they depend so much on that dine in business. Uh, I'm wondering what you've learned about this, you know, having some counter service, having a lot of full service restaurants, what have you learned about service model and how it's maybe affecting the rib crib business in the wake of uh, the pandemic? Well, I think in our, in our legacy units that that are primarily dine-in, I think even those will, will evolve over time. And and, and certainly I don't see them going, going full uh, counter service model, but you know, for us, understanding that that shift in, in off-premise business, even in the dining, even in the full-service units, is, is something that, that we're thinking about, both from back-of-house setup to uh, drive-through windows, 
to to expanded pickup counters. You know, those things are definitely top of mind for us as we kind of think of of how remodels evolve um, our legacy units. And then from a new unit development standpoint, you know, we we again we, we're developing a prototype that's a that's a counter service uh, tradition or excuse me a counter service model. And um, but again. Even even though it's counter service, that, that that alone doesn't set you up for for efficiency. So thinking through curbside, thinking through drive through, thinking through the combination of the two potentially, um, is currently what we're focused on as we go through that development phase with our prototype. Yeah, tell me about that. I mean, thinking about what Rib Crib looks like in the future, it, do you think this these last four months drastically impact you know wh- what you guys want to do in terms of the prototype, the store layout, the 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 business model, and expansion plans, or do you think that it just kind of pushes along the direction you already were heading in? Yeah, I think I think it pushes along the direction we were heading in. You know, when we last talked, um, clearly franchising was was kind of what we saw our growth. Um, in the form of our growth coming in. And so, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate the, the franchisees that, that kind of were, were rounding third base, so to speak, you know, just as we entered this, you know, they, they stepped up and shown that, that they're still on board to, to commit to development. And as a result, we, we see in the next 12 months having uh, new prototype units or, or at least new, new rib cribs in, in three states uh, in Florida, uh, Alabama and Louisiana. Mm. Um, and as a result, you know, again, like, like we just hit on, um, those are markets that, that we haven't been in. And, and, and so it's not about retraining those guests in terms of being used to rib crib being dine in and, and having to kind of train them to think of us as a, as a, as a fast casual or, or counter service model, because, um, you know, rib crib will be new to those markets. And so, you know, we have interest in both the full service model and the, and the counter service model in those markets. And, you know, I think it's up to to each respective franchisee to, to kind of fit what they think uh, matches the market and, and matches the, the the specific development site. Um, mm-hmm. But but you know, we as a franchisor can can be confident that we understand both models and and you know can obviously train them accordingly. I have this theory that um, this all might lend a lot more um, credence to the idea of franchising. Uh, it just sort of seems to me like, um, you know, if I'm if I'm somebody in franchising, um, I'm going to want a franchisor, a, a partner who can really help me through future crises. You know, of course, we don't know what was is coming down the pike, and, and certainly with coronavirus, but even just other crises. You know, it's it's nice to have that franchisor partner to sort of walk you through and help you with these crises. So to me, it seems like you know there's going to be a lot more opportunity in franchising in general, a lot more interest in franchising. And, and, and also, you know, we're, we're heading into, we are in a recession. We, we will probably be in a recession for a couple of years. And the last recession, um, there was a lot of um, growth in franchising because you had all these people who are now looking for second careers and, and new opportunities. Does that line up for what you guys are seeing? And how do you guys kind of lean into that to help with Rib Cribs expansion? I, I think it's a fair point. You know, I, the the thought that that there could be some career changes um, in in the coming years uh, is certainly a valid one and 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 I think from a development standpoint and, and kind of how do we become track attractive it's it's really just leaning into what what uh, we have for the last couple couple months really really the last year in terms of uh, franchise development and that's leading into our experience our culture and the fact that we're operators at heart uh, given our kind of heavy portion of corporate owned units. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, so it's not that anything changes, but I, but I do think uh, leaning into that pitch and, and clearly, like you said, buying into a group that, that navigated the, the crisis um, successfully. And I, I, I hedge a little bit using that word because I think that's a little unknown on, on who's going to do this successfully and who isn't. Yeah. Um, I'm still confident in our group. And, and I think um, ultimately one way to, to kind of signal that is obviously the, the revenue effect that, that the crisis has had, you know, sure at the bottom, we were, we were negative 60% year over year, which is a staggering number. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I also recognize that, that there's others that, that wish that was the bottom for them. Right. Um, and now we've settled into kind of a negative six to negative 8% year over year. And, and, mm. and just like, just like I said, you know, that's, that's a number that, 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 again in any normal year would would be crushing um but there's plenty of of brands and concepts and, and restaurateurs out there who um you know kind of wish that was the state they were in but um you know we, we talked uh, about a few of the reasons you know i think barbecue helps us um in, in that regard i think our our, our off-premise business going into the into the uh, crisis certainly helps us but i think there's no question uh, the loyalty of our customer base is ultimately uh, what what's helped get us through this. Yeah. So sort of a unfortunate silver lining in all of this is just how much real estate is going to be available after uh, the pandemic. Even now, um, you know, a lot of people are, are kind of looking at this as um, certainly heartbreaking for all the people who have lost their businesses. Um, but um, considering for those businesses that are, you know, going to make through, make it through this, um, there's going to be a lot of real estate available and a lot of opportunity for expansion. Do you see this as a way to step on the accelerator a little bit? I mean, is there any way that you, you know, could see some of that silver lining and want to take advantage of some of that real estate's going to be available all over the country? Yeah, I think naturally, you know, like you said, there's going to be opportunities. Um, like any time we navigate kind of how we deploy capital, um, how we value those opportunities and, and how we think we can, we can kind of optimize our reinvestment into the brand. So, um, I don't necessarily view it as, as any different than, than pre-pandemic with the exception of, you know, I, I anticipate kind of the availability of, of, of land and, and remodels and, and retrofits uh, to be fairly abundant kind of in the next six to maybe even 18 months. You know, some, some of the effects are, 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 are going to be bad for some people, but, but I also think that their runway may be extended. And, and even though they, they, may have an unfortunate ending. I don't think that's necessarily in the next 30 to 60 days. I think the, the, the true effects um, for many will come maybe in, in the next 12 months. Yeah, this is a conversation I've had a, a lot recently, which is that, um, you know, the worst of it is yet to come, at least as far as business is concerned. Um, you know, a lot of people are thinking about rent. A lot of people are thinking about, you know, um, what happens if I can't pay rent? You know, what are landlords going to do? Um, you know, certainly there's going to be uh, with unemployment, um, you know, obviously a lot of uncertainty still with um, what, you know, government and, and how long they extend unemployment and all of this stuff. But it, it just seems like there are maybe some dominoes that could fall that could make the business climate a little bit trickier. Are you watching that? And what, what are some things maybe that concern you in the coming months that you're trying to prepare for? So with, with the virus, clearly the, the worst part of all this is, is, are the people that, that are, are affected. 
either directly or, or within their family. So um, I think setting that aside, one of the hardest things as a, as a restaurateur has been, um, I think, navigating the various uh, regulations. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we operate our, our corporate restaurants, they're spread across five states. And um, when when we went into the pandemic, you know, navigating the various governor governor's orders, the, the orders from the mayors, and then you overlay that with, you know, the, the local county health department uh, orders, you know, we it was quite the puzzle navigating kind of which store falls under which which uh, which mandate. And and now I think the hardest part about this and, and restaurant isn't unique in this, but but I think uh, certainly in the restaurant business is the unknown, right? I mean, not knowing mm-hmm. how long this goes on is really one of the hardest parts because as we, as we pivot and, and think through strategy, um, you almost have to assume it's, it's endless, even though, even though you, you know, it's not as you, as you strategize, because otherwise you're just kind of, you're, you have a short term change and you're holding your breath, hoping to see the other end. Um, and so now as, as things potentially start start to shut down, the whole cycle starts over again, where, um, you know, we I got an email this morning from a from one of the towns we we uh, we operate in that, that is shutting down dining rooms, and um, you know, I, it almost just feels normal now that that yeah, that's that's what we have to do, and and so let's shut it down and and kind of reinforce our our off premise business there. So yeah, um, I think I think the I think the hardest part becomes the unknown more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, a lot of what I'm hearing as it relates to things like real estate um, and in the future, you know, uh, operators are talking about downsizing their footprint um, because off-premises is going to be such a bigger part of sales than it was before and dine-in will be less of a part of sales. Um, a lot of people are talking about finding drive-through uh, locations so that they can add the drive-through component. Are you guys thinking through how you want to adapt the rib crib model according to, you know, what real estate is going to be available or do you just look for the the same sites you always did. Well, I, I think I think it's a fair point. Um, I think when we when we come out the other end, it, obviously we we don't know exactly what what it's going to look like. But you know, I, I'm under the belief that there's going to be a little bit of a bifurcation between uh, convenience dining and kind of experiential dining. Where if you're choosing to sit down and choosing to spend time within a place you need to make sure that kind of the, the vibe and, and it doesn't have to be full service either. I think, I think, um, you know, I think Shake Shack, for example, is a great example of a counter service model where even when you're sitting in there eating, it just feels a little different. You feel an energy and, and the vibe. And so I think that's going to become even more important from a real estate standpoint, because if you're going to devote dollars to a dining space, even if it's full service or, or counter service, um, you have to make sure that, that it's an inviting place that people want to want to sit in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it, sure. I, I think we all, we all can agree or predict that there'll be a you know, higher percentage of takeout. Um, but I also don't think that means that, that dine in, uh, even in a casual space or, or, or fast casual space that the dine in is, is going to be dead after this. Mm-hmm. All right, Garrett, last question for you is, um, you know, this is obviously a a pretty heavy season um, and it just, you know, never stops. It just feels like every day there's something else to just uh, make this a a very exhausting year. Um, But what is something that's maybe giving you hope? What's a bit of encouragement you can leave listeners with? Well, um, 
you know, I, I will say that the first thing that came to mind, um, another great podcast is how I built this. And, and yeah, it's one of my favorites. And recently, I'm going to steal a line that I heard from Danny Meyer. And I sure. think actually it was Danny Meyer's grandfather that, that shared this. So this is, but, but I think it's good advice. Um, it, you know, what his grandfather told him uh, was basically that, that business is problems, right? So as we think through as restaurateurs and, and really in all industries, as we all go through this together and, and we think about it as, as kind of this never ending terrible problem, I think setting the stage or, or coming to the realization that, that, that that's why we're all in this is, is to solve problems. It happens to be a, a unique one. It happens to be a tragic one and it happens to be one that, that feels like it has no end in sight, but, but nonetheless, it, it's still just a problem that we're navigating. And I think the ones that come out stronger are the ones that, that can solve the problem best and, and really have the, the most fun doing it. Um, and that's what I tell our team. Uh, how do we, how do we take this threat and, and turn it into an opportunity and just kind of view it as this unique problem that, that it's our job and responsibility to, to solve. Um, so I think it's somewhat of an optimistic uh, outlook on, on something that, that is hard to find optimism in. But I think if you are able to, to have that mindset um, and, and somehow turn this into to a potential positive, even though it's, it's certainly tragic, um, that would be the advice and, and kind of uh, hope that I could, could pass on to other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Garrett, I really appreciate your time today. Appreciate your insights and uh, good luck to you guys in all this and be well. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it.